episode 218 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 27th of February, 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Tomato Embargo. <laughs> Graham. Hello. And Will. Easy now. Don't be uh, taking the piss out of our tomato situation, Phelan. It's very serious, you know. All your tomatoes are belong to us. <laughs> you EU bastards. Well, I think they did a deal with you a lot today, but I've not watched the news. I haven't had time. But anyway, we don't care about that. We care about the Linux news. And another show... Another canonical PR snafu. <laughs> this time, Ubuntu flavor packaging defaults. So the bottom line is that all of the Ubuntu flavors, your likes of Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Kubuntu, Ubuntu Chillin, etc., etc., have all agreed, in quotes, to not ship Flatpak by default from now on. Some of the flavors were shipping it by default, but from now on they will not. It's still just an apt install away but they've all agreed to do that is the official line on it but then immediately after this announcement we got some of the flavor leads saying well agreed mm, more like complied with the requested change one of them said there's been a lot of outrage about this everywhere except for our little private telegram group where you lot seem to just think this is fine I hope Mozilla appreciates the breathing space that we're giving. <laughs> I don't know that we said it was fine. I think we said it was inevitable. Yeah, because this has clearly come from above. It's come from relatively high in Canonical, maybe even from the top. Who knows exactly where it's come from? But this just seems to be just a gaff. Why would they do this? Who cares about the flavors? Okay, if you listen to a show like this, then you're really aware, probably, I use Ubuntu, for example, with XFCE. But from speaking to those in the know, I've not heard numbers, but I've heard orders of magnitude, let's say. But Ubuntu proper has got millions of users, whereas the flavors are basically a rounding error in terms of numbers. So why would they care? Why would he care if it is the spaceman who's decided this? We don't know at this stage. But why would anybody care what the flavors do? It doesn't make sense to me why this decision has happened. You just pissed off the community by being seen to be actively hostile to Flatpak, a packaging format that has won at this point on the desktop. I don't care what Canonical says. I don't care what people on the Snap team say, Graham. <laughs> Fucking Flatpak's won. And at some point, you have to accept that. Has it won, though? I mean, looking at the numbers, if we assume that Ubuntu desktop is the far and away leader in number of installs... And that runs snaps. I would imagine, and this is a guess, but I would imagine that there are more snap users out there than there are Flatpak users. And I think that the mandate to not install Flatpak by default from on high has got two aspects to it. There's the brand aspect where all Ubuntu flavors are should be seen to be doing the same thing and supporting the Ubuntu technology or the canonical technology, I should say. And the other aspect of it is that, well, and, and perhaps this is more of an excuse than anything, but that in order for Snap to be proven across all of these different desktop environments, you need all of those flavors to be using it so that you can prove and test and get feedback on what works and what doesn't work. That's how I would have dressed it up if I was being paid to do it. <laughs> but I think that it's entirely acceptable for Ubuntu to push Ubuntu's own mandate. Well, that's the argument, isn't it? That it's all Canonical's infrastructure that these uh, distros are being built on and hosted on, etc. And, you know, there's other support that they get as well. 
And so my house, my rules. But it still feels like a PR gaff to me. It feels like a Streisand effect situation. Why did they even bother drawing attention to this? Snap basically has to be shipped by default anyway because of the browser situation, Firefox in particular. So Snap is going to be there. Well, Phelan, you dug up one of the replies to this uh, thread on the Ubuntu discourse from a KDE developer that where he said that it basically amounts to extra support burden with Flatpak. Yeah, and I think for users who are maybe not as technical, you go looking for Firefox and then you get Firefox in the repo, Firefox Snap and Firefox Flatpak, and you assume they're all supported because they're in the main software center, whatever one you're using. It is probably a complicated question to answer and say, no, no, the Flatbox is not really supported. The Snap is definitely the way to go now and the apt package is gone. It's messy and fair enough. People don't like that. It's not like they've blocked Flatpaks. It's not like it's very hard to install. And if you're a technical user, it's one command away and you, you can have it the way you want. And then at least you have segregated that in your mind that you know that is not the done way it's not the supported inverted commas and it's not the one that you base your reputation on as the projects and to be honest i think that's fine much like i wouldn't expect red hat to include apt to deb or apt to rpm sorry or snap as you know a default option or snap because it, they're just not testing them and as this developer says we have no control over the quality of those packages we don't know what way they've been built if there's any issues with them and then people are coming to us saying this broke why doesn't it work perfectly and it's like well we've no control over it it's an outside repo what can we do but it isn't presented like that inside many of the software centers there's a nice little bit of class in the message that is communicated, which is that they won't uninstall Flatpak if you've already got it installed. I think that that was a decision that was made, and I think that's the right decision. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you're doing an upgrade and you've already got it installed, you can't start pulling it out of people's installations. There's a really good interaction between Luis Alvarado. I'm not sure he is, but he's a community guy who said he has spent like 10 to 15 years promoting Ubuntu stuff and he got really irate and annoyed. And it happens to be the reply that was picked up by one of the KD developers was actually that reply to him. And then he came back after and said, that's one big, huge, correct answer. And thanks for specifying it and gave me a complete different look at it. And yeah, sorry, I had a bit of a rant about it. And I, that's a great reply. It's nice mm. to see that. Not all parts of the internet are quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I have heard compelling arguments the other way, but it still feels like this wasn't handled brilliantly. Like, why are some of the flavor leads coming out and talking shit about this decision immediately afterwards? That feels like it wasn't really dealt with internally properly. Otherwise, that wouldn't have happened. It's an impossible situation for those flavor maintainers. Their users who are drawn from the you know the entirety of free software ecosystem are obviously asking for Flatpak. And they had it, and now they have to take it away. And they have to, the, the flavor leads, through no choice of their own, have to defend this decision. And perhaps they don't agree with it, perhaps they do. But nevertheless, they are being forced into a position which they, they may not be comfortable with. It's a very, very difficult situation to be in for them. I think it's also important to remember that lots of the flavor leads are voluntary if all of them are they're all doing it on their own time they've always done it on their own time and they do it for the love of what they produce and they probably feel like 
they should have a say in decisions like this because they put it all together and they understand their users best. So I can understand their frustration if that's what they're feeling as well. Yeah, but then again, ultimately, it is just an apt command away to get Flatpak going and, and one more to get it with the uh, GUI package manager. So it's not the end of the world. It's not like they're, they're blocking Flatpak completely. Like we saw Linux Mint do with uh, Snap. That Again, it was only a few commands, but... Bit childish. Yeah, it was active hostility to Snap, let's say. Whereas maybe this isn't active hostility because it is simple enough to install it for those who want it. And for those who have no idea what a package management system is, what package formats are, that just click install, Firefox, install VLC, whatever, maybe it is confusing for them to have too many different options. Defaults are really important for stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they are. I just feel it could have been handled better, and it's just yet another example of Canonical just not really understanding how our souls on the internet work. Why won't they consult with you? I know. Give me a job. <laughs> just, the, you know, a couple of hours a week. I'll do it for a couple of crates of cider. Come on. Phelan, you found an article on LWN, NASA and open source software. And this really is just summarizing a keynote from FOSDEM by Steve Crawford, who works for NASA. And it's, uh, it's all about open source software at NASA and the challenges that they've had and how they've got a shitload of open source software that they maintain. They do. Way more than you would think. Yeah, and there's a very cool talk there, well worth a watch, and it's from the massive troll that is the FOSDEM talks and videos. And yeah, it's amazing the amount of stuff that goes in there. And it's exactly what tax money should do, you know, contribute into a system that contributes back to people and everybody can make use of. It's great. Absolutely amazing stuff. It's sounding dangerously socialist then. <laughs> Shh, don't tell the Americans. They'll stop doing it. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that they had to get around the issue of not being able to copyright any works done by civil servants. I don't, I don't know if they call them that, but people who work for the government, that has to be public domain. And so contributing to open source projects that are copy left which is copyright you know it's it's not public domain anyway that was an issue that they had to solve and that to come up with their own license and the osi approved of it but fucking stormman and co didn't obviously so yeah it's a very very interesting talk that uh, we'll link to so check it out okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash late night linux support the show and get a hundred dollars free credit from their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks, like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Steam for Linux is 10 years old. My back hurts. Yeah, I know, so does mine. How can it be 10 years? <laughs> but then you look back and you think, you know, Steam Machines, Proton, Steam Deck. It's been 
a long road to get where we are. Maybe I'm on my own, but I thought that we'd had steam for a lot longer. I had to make sure. I, you, you've a steam deck. You're living the future, Graham. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's because a lot of us were running steam on Linux via crossover or wine for a long time. And I'd just kind of taken it for granted it was part of my desktop. I was playing games on steam in the Linux format offices for ages before steam was released. So I had to really cast my memory back to what was the initiative behind this and of course the steam machines and the whole kind of hedging against microsoft seemed to be the initial impetus but um yeah i thought it was longer but yeah of course 10 years it's been 10 years i think since we left those magazines so no way yeah i think that time has flown by i think at the end of this year it will be wow and could you have imagined all those years ago in the offices the number of games that you'd now be playing on linux no and it's scary. Sometimes you can say like better than native versions mm. of those games because they run better than their Windows counterparts sometimes, especially on the Steam Deck where they're really taking advantage of like that single platform optimization you can do. The reason why PS3 games look so amazing despite the limited hardware so many years after its release. The Steam Deck really feels like that. It is amazing. And, you know, I think Valve have really found their footing with Linux and its place within their ecosystem. It feels very positive. I just wish it worked a little bit nicer for multi-desktops, or multi-screens, rather, sorry. That's the only issue I ever have, is that it pops up on the wrong screen in the wrong resolution, and I have to drag it over, and it mangles itself. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Otherwise, you can bodge that through some sort of X thing, can't you, to always prefer a particular screen? Yeah, well, I've got a bug log about that that'll come up in KDE Corner. <laughs> <laughs> It certainly cemented Steam in my heart and in the, the heart of my kids as well because the kids were asking for a, a game satisfactory over the weekend and I could have bought it from the Epic Game Store for, a, I think, a bit less, but I decided, no, that Steam was the place that I wanted to support and, and so that's where I bought it for them. And a big part of that is because I know all of the, the good things that they're doing to make these games run on Linux. So keep it up. You thought you'd prefer to be locked into Steam than Epic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time to do a bit of Microsoft hating. It's a bit like the old Linux Outlaws Microwatch they had <laughs> where they'd uh, diss Microsoft every week. The first one in Microwatch is <laughs> Microsoft Edge has been inserting ads for itself on the Chrome download page. To call them ads is just not even accurate. It's begging, sort of, <laughs> oh, take me back, please. It's pathetic. Yeah, I'm built on the same technology as Chrome. You don't really need Chrome. Ooh, you got the trust of Microsoft. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> well, I think that kind of speaks to how little trust there is in Google, that they can even fucking make that claim, that they're more trustworthy. Oh, no. It's just, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> No, it's not everybody who goes to download Chrome, to be fair. It was just some sort of canary bills and betas and stuff, and, and it seems to have not persisted. I think they've stopped it now. There's been a bit of a backlash. But it's still pretty egregious. We're not talking about the shit that Google does, where if you go to a Google property like YouTube or whatever, and it advertises Chrome, because that is their website, they own it, they're entitled to advertise on it. We're talking about injecting shit into someone else's web page. And that is just not on, as far as I'm concerned. I, I totally, totally agree. But, and I'm sure Google does the same thing. And I've, I think, 
not not exactly the same thing, but they've certainly set a precedent with doing similar things with like search results and ads at the top of there. And it did piss me off, especially when it's Firefox. Well, no, you see, I'm not having that. I'm not having that argument. I'm not having that false equivalence here because what Google does is advertise on its own services. You're going to Google, you're going to YouTube, Google-owned properties. This is Microsoft's browser that is just supposed to serve you web pages. If you were going to a Microsoft site and they were advertising Microsoft shit on it, that's totally fine. But you're talking about going to download another browser and your current browser saying, no, don't do that. I think that's totally different from what Google does. I don't think it's totally different because a lot of those ads, they're made to hijack people who perhaps don't know better from doing what they're wanting to do, which is maybe install Firefox. I can't say what the language is now, but the language is often misleading. Like, this is the default browser for your your chosen desktop or better integration or whatever they say. And what is the what is the browser? Yeah. If it is Google's domain, which, well, also Google aren't accountable for those ads. There's no kind of transparency on what they do to get those ads placed there in terms of how they fund them internally, the kind of data they have access to to be able to place them there. Are they fairly competing with other people? I don't know if I even trust them that far anymore. And so it's the platform. You'd see it, you, okay, so you do see it on Chrome OS. So what's the difference between Chrome OS and MS doing this with their own browser? But if you're searching for Firefox? Well, in Chrome OS, you're going to be using Chrome, aren't you? So they wouldn't be advertising their browser because you're already using it. I don't know. I'd have to have a look and see what it says on Chrome OS. But I've definitely seen these things before. I know you can't install it on Chrome OS, but that, that's what I mean. It's like on Android or whatever. I kind of see what you mean, but I, I do feel like, although it's related... It does feel a false equivalent still to me. Maybe it shouldn't, but it still does. I suppose, Phelim, you have to be the arbiter on this. Who do you seethe about most? Who do you hate the most between Microsoft and Google in this situation? <laughs> Which do I want to die from? Cholera or bubonic plague? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, really, I honestly, I think they've just, they're sort of made for each other. <laughs> and the fact that everybody who's using Chrome is now complaining about it. Well, they brought this upon themselves. They should have all been using Firefox. I think in scheme of things, which do I hate more? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I hate Microsoft more, but I just think that they're... Both bastards. They are, though. That's the thing. I say, I don't I don't really like Google at all. I think they, they, they've got some real sinister side to them as well. Yeah, what people should have been doing is using Firefox, and then they'd only be getting adverts for Pocket and stuff. But that's open now, isn't it? Oh, no, no. it's not. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Oh, well. So Jeff Gearling discovered that his daughter's school had somehow just taken over his Microsoft account, and then he tried to fix it and made it worse, and he doesn't recall giving it any permission, no sort of emails to give him a heads up. It's clearly not the school being malicious here. It's clearly a fuck-up, but that his Microsoft account was allowed to be effectively taken over by an organization is not ideal, is it? I've had run-ins with the Microsoft account on numerous occasions, especially when trying to buy Minecraft for the kids and having it just change of email address, just blowing the whole thing out of its mind and it can't cope with the fact that you've changed something. No, you must buy Minecraft again. It's been extremely difficult. But also, Google has been extremely difficult in this way with previously bought Android apps. The whole 
concept of having a single account tied to a provider, which it can, at a whim, just break or be taken away from you or be associated with somebody else's services, just scares me to the point where I think, is it actually worth bothering with having a Google account or a Microsoft account and just deal without? But how? How are you going to send emails if you don't have a Microsoft or Google account? I suppose you could have a proton mail. Stop stop propagating that myth. <laughs> I think Will's right. I think Phelan's right. And I think it's imagine I mean support there is no support now, but imagine when support is going to be chat GPT. Oh Jesus. We're never ever going to win. In fact, we're probably going to be told off and punished in some way by the AI. <laughs> I think Phelan might be right. Yes, thank mm. you. <laughs> uh, the best tech support I saw was a lady walked into the Google campus. I used to go there for the odd time and did these tech talks that were non-Google things. They were just like tech people and they gave a room free. And defecating the lifts. Well, there's no evidence of that, though. <laughs> <laughs> you show me pictures and maybe. Um, so this lady walked up to the front desk and demanded support for her Gmail account she was locked out of. And they got somebody from the tech desk to come down. So some poor developer who was probably had nothing to do with it, probably an AdWords developer or something, came down, they sorted it out for her. And it, she was there for ages. And, well, she got her support. I've been to the Google offices in Dublin. It was a long time ago. It was uh, when KD's Academy was there. Ah, oh, yeah, I missed that. Google invited us in and we went to, you know, the cafeteria where they were so keen to show off all their free food yeah. and how chill and relaxing it was. And the Google employees in and around the cafeteria, this is then, I don't know, 2000s, they had like cameras on stalks that other employees elsewhere in, in the offices and the companies could operate and spy on people. And they thought this was amazing, Fuck you know, hell. that people could do this kind of geekery through their web browser from anywhere in the corporation. And all of us were kind of looking at each other going, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my bag has accidentally swung into it. You can't even relax and lounge on those comfy chairs. There's probably a pressure sensor in there as well, measuring how you're relaxing. <laughs> I think Graham's point about no support is the real issue here, right? That the machine has done a thing and nobody really knows why it's happened. And you can't speak to somebody who knows anything in person. You have to send a request in and never be, never, never, ever receive a response from it. And that's just infuriating. I point you to my license issues I had with Microsoft before. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point -point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer -peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com.
On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. And if you want to join the Telegram, Matrix, Discord, or IRC, details for that are at latenightlinux.com slash community. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. KDE switches to Qt 6. As of tomorrow, yeah. 5 is gone and 6 is the new thing. It doesn't mean that your existing Neon and Kubuntu and Arch or whatever are going to immediately switch over to Qt 6. This is like they've started the development cycle for what will eventually be Plasma 6. Yeah, and they've done an awful lot of work to sort of make that transition as easy as possible. But I think still it's probably about half a year to nine months away. That's why 5.27, so much effort was put in to make it as stable as possible. So that should be a nice solid base to stay on for as long as needed. And you've got a couple of YouTube videos to link to. Yeah, so Nico, which we've had links to before, he's had some interesting ones. There's a quite a cool theming one there, which there were some questionable ones where people had done XP 10 and 11, <laughs> which, you know, okay. It's like trying to copy a, a Nissan Sunny or something like that. It's like, why why would you do that? But fair enough. But uh, some great themes. And just to show the amazing ability with all the dock tools and things like that, that people can add to KDE to change it to the way they want to. And I would say Graham has a very good video where he does his crazy setup ages ago. And compared to my toolbar up the top and I'm done, it's not quite the same thing. But he also then goes on in his other video about some of the hidden features. Now, I knew a fair amount of these, but even I got a few nice ones out of this. There's like one effect plugin called Invert Colors. And for things like PDFs, which aren't in a dark theme, you can invert the colors with a hotkey. And then it turns, you know, the background to black and the text to white, which I thought was such a simple way to get around the retinas getting sizzled out the back of your eyeball at nighttime when you're looking at stuff. That hurts my eyes more to do it that way. Does it? Yeah, like Ars Technica, I put that back to uh, black text on white background. I find that it just fucks my eyes up trying to read white text on black background. I find harsh white text on pure black is not great, but I kind of go for a sort of a grays and charcoals <laughs> and uh, it seems to work out right for me but there's another really cool one called i think it's thumbnails inside or thumbnails aside i've never used it but i will be soon and it is to convert any application into a thumbnail view that you can sit in the corner and if you've got a bunch of them like a website or a video or something that you want to keep going all the time in a little sort of you know those picture in picture things that some tvs can do you can do it with that and it's just a quick shortcut key and there you go you have it it's really really nice and then another simple one where like middle click on a maximize horizontally expands something or right click on the maximize vertically expands a window which i didn't know about so some cool stuff in there all right plasma mobile 5.27 that's been chugging along nicely they put a lot of work in to get that out and it's paid off quite well and the mobile team is also taking advantage of that most of it is bug fixes in the background, but it's sort of like polishing the thing as best as possible. And it looks really cool. And I, I really want to get a device as soon as I can to try and try it out. Some of the things are just making a lot of the features like the KCMs, like the control panel stuff, a bit more touch friendly. And there's new pair off stuff, but it's a lot of work going in there. And it is really nice to see that. So hopefully get to try that soon. 
and stop shouting. Yeah, so one of the developers, Axelmo, talks about they did the fine line outlines that is part of 527. And I really like that because for a dark team, it actually really makes a difference to have that just that fine edge. It's like a one pixel line around the window. And I think it looks quite good, but apparently a lot of people have been annoyed by this. But it's sort of a reminder, a gentle reminder, you know, you don't hit the developer with everybody that you can muster on Reddit and then go to their blog and comment like mad on it and then use their blog as essentially a bug feature request form to change it back and you know log proper bugs or feature requests if you have them and uh, just think that these are all contributors in their spare time doing this and not to be a dick i think is the main takeaway from that <laughs> fair enough and uh, the obligatory how to add flat packs on kubuntu or neon yeah yeah literally a, a one-liner and uh it's not been taken away and it's very useful and i use a mix of both snaps on flat packs and yeah i'm sure loads of people do all right and a couple of updates from nate as usual yeah he's got a whole lot of stuff all the bug fixes all the work that went into 527 some of the stuff that's coming in plasma 6 that they're already starting to see and there's a list of the critical bugs that happened after 527 like the bug count is quite low but there's been a few and uh, bug 465396 is my bug, which is about my multi-monitors not sticking with whatever I pick as the <laughs> primary display and my games popping up on my vertical one and that just messes all the resolutions up and I just wish I had a giant single screen, but I don't. Or just play Gallagher. <laughs> What's Gallagher? Gallagher's a vertical shooter. Oh, stop. Just stop. <laughs> Do you play that on a Vectrex? <laughs> Do you turn your head sideways while you play it? <laughs> no, I turn my monitor sideways. <sighs> All right, and two very last-minute tools in Neon. Kyo Admin, which is for editing files as root, be careful, and an iNotify survey, which lets you know if there's watchers that are running out of processes for monitoring files you know if you might have directories where you're copying files into and stuff to let you know and ironically that pinged up at the start of this show for me which is bizarre i've never seen it before so there we go and that's quite cool and there's a couple of applications in testing as well ariana a new ebook reader and plasma tube which is a youtube video player and they're coming soon so quite cool right well links to all that in the show notes as usual but we'd better get out of here we'll be back next week when We'll probably have some discoveries and some feedback and that sort of thing. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>